Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join us in the conversation. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again here at Conversations for Life. Today, we are blessed to be joined with Jen Pollock-Michelle, who is the award-winning author of Surprised by Paradox, The Promise of And in an Either-Or World. She's also the author of Teach Us to Want and Keeping Place. Uh, Jen writes widely for print and digital publications, and she travels to speak at churches, at conferences, and retreats. Uh, She holds a BA in French from Wheaton College and an MA in Literature from Northwestern University. She's married to Ryan, and they have five children and live in Toronto. You can find out more about her at jenpollockmichelle.com or follow her on Twitter at jenpmichelle. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. So I read your book, your fantastic book, Keeping Place, and I was really drawn to it because my wife and I, uh, neither of us come from um, really wonderful or, or um, safe homes growing up. And so mm-hmm. that theme that you talk about in your book about home and homekeeping and, and, and God is our homemaker and all those things was very, uh, just drew me in right away. And I just knew that you'd be someone that a lot of folks would love to hear from. And so I'd love for you just to share a little bit about the book as well as your own story and how kind of your life and your story, God put that into form with this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, the book really comes from a place of uprootedness rather than rootedness. Um, So I feel like home is kind of something that's been elusive my whole life. Um, I mean, unlike you, I was raised by Christian parents and I'm so thankful for that. We traveled a lot. I mean, we moved a lot geographically when I was younger for my dad's job, for his education. He switched careers. And so we never lived anywhere longer than three years, you know. But, and so by the time I went to college and, um, well, I should say, actually, I went to high school in the same city. So that was, I guess, five years. We moved there when I was in eighth grade. And so moved to um, Wheaton College, met my husband there, and he has like the actual absolute opposite story, you know, grew up in the same town, lived in the same house since he was two years old, you know, and his parents have known the same people forever. And his mom and dad grew up in that town. And, um, and I always said, you know, that's the kind of story we're going to have when we get married, you know, we're going to, um, live in the same place and raise our children and they're going to know home. And that's just not the way that it turned out. Um, And I mean, in some ways, you know, people would say, well, that's because you didn't choose it. But I I think in in many ways, it's what God chose for us. Um, We lived in the Chicagoland area for a while and then moved to Ohio where my parents um, are, my mom is, and then moved back to Chicago. And then in 2011, my husband had a job opportunity in Toronto. And, and truthfully, we always did sort of say, God, we're willing to go wherever you send us, you know, as far as, I guess it's sort of a paradox because in some ways I've wanted stability and rootedness. And in, in other ways, I've really felt very free to say, God, wherever you send us, you know, we're willing to go. Um, in 2011, that was a job opportunity in Toronto. And we thought, you know, maybe that was going to be sort of a three-year thing and we'd end up back in Chicago and nine years later, like Toronto's becoming home. But Keeping Place is really written out of like all of the uncertainty in the Toronto journey. Um, because while we're now we've been here nine years, um, a couple of years ago, we 
got our permanent residency, um, which is essentially like a green card, meaning if my husband loses his job, we get to still stay. Um, And so there's a lot more permanence now. But when I was writing the book, there was a lot of impermanence. You know, it was always like every year, are we staying? Are we going? Are we going back to Chicago? Is it going to be even possible to stay? And a lot of those things were outside of our control. And I was just identifying how deeply I longed for home. And I thought that, you know, maybe that really was about geography and place. And I think I resolved, you know, kind of looking through scripture that in part it was, um, but it was also so much more than that. And that um, just to really re-examine the biblical story, like with that question, why do we long for home as human beings? And what does the gospel tell us about home? And I mean, the great news is that, um, home is a promise of the gospel and now and a not yet promise of the gospel. You know, I think about Jesus when he says, you know, my father and I will come and we'll make our home with you, you know, in John at the latter chapters of John, right before his um, arrest and betrayal and crucifixion. So think, you know, talking about the Holy spirit coming and indwelling his people and actually making his home with us. But, and so that's the now of home Um, And what a consolation that is, you know, Um, but also to think that there is a place called home and we get to the end of the biblical story and and see how God is just welcoming his people into the new heavens and the new earth. And it's exactly the, it's the new Eden, right? And we can think about the biblical story beginning in home, um, at home. And I think that's why we so long for it because it was our it was what God had intended for his people. Right, and then the Garden of Eden. Exactly, in the garden, and now seeing that the biblical story ends at home. Um, so I think those are that's sort of my personal story, why I was why I was asking the question about home. But then that was driving me deeper into scripture with that question. Well, I think no matter uh, who you are, of course, the theological themes themselves are compelling. You know, mm-hmm. even if you grew up in a small town your entire life, you still you know, those, those, those things are just a foretaste of something deeper that you long for. Mm-hmm. And all of us can speak to that, you know, the, the spiritual longing for our true home to be with our heavenly father and, and God in heaven. Um, and, and yet I think too, even people who have not moved around a lot, but who live in big cities can certainly resonate with that sense of, you know, I often hear a voice says, I want community. I want mm. you to long for community. And I live in a big city. I live in Houston where there's 6 million people. And the challenge is there's almost no overlap between your different spheres of life. You work with a certain set of people and you have a certain set of people who live in your neighborhood around you. Most of them, you know, you don't even know at all. Mm. Um, then you have a different set of people that you go to church with. Um, and then, you know, so there's, and then maybe a different set of people that are in your schools for your kids. And there's just all these different groups of people that you only get to know just a teeny tiny bit because you're a finite human being with so little time. And the result is that most of us, and you actually speak to this, and I guess we can jump into that. Most of us feel very isolated, even though we're surrounded by tons and tons of people. Mm-hmm. And um, so we can actually jump in. So I, I do want to start. One of the things you, you bring up in the book, we'll get to some of that in a minute with women as you bring up in the book. But um, I love the stories towards, towards the beginning that you tell as you're talking about our own view of home now and sort of the association we make with home is the, uh, you know, the place for women and of domesticity. And mm. you kind of talk about something that my wife and I have talked about quite a bit, which is how that concept of home is a really a modern invention. 
and mm-hmm. that um, it's, it, and so we don't want to just assume, especially as we're reading the Bible, we don't want to take a modern invention and just translate that or or put that on top of of the Bible and see that that way. And so, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Just our modern view of home and mm-hmm. how that conflicts even with with how we see home modeled in, in scripture and the everyday lives of the people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was writing the book, <laughs> believe it or not, we had conversations about how we weren't going to put home in the title because that would immediately sort of position it as a woman's book, a book for women. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to have a book. Um, I mean, what I was trying to do in the book was to reach, you know, both men and women with the subject of home, you know, and the themes of home and scripture, because they are for everyone. The promises are for everyone. But I think even just that challenge of titling the book um, sort of illustrates the fact that we do think of home, you know, as you know, people of the 21st century as sort of a women's f- a sphere for women. And I talk about in the book how that really is kind of um, a phenomenon of the post-industrial revolution. You know, that prior to the industrial revolution, home and work, like they were all in one common space. You know, people weren't getting in their cars, obviously, and driving to the office. You know, maybe, maybe, um, the husband was, um, you know, he did worked with iron, you know, but his, his, I don't know, forge was on the property, um, with the home. And, you know, there were, there was just a lot more overlap between the spheres of work and home so that, um, it wasn't, they, they weren't so discreet and it wasn't as if work, the sphere of work belonged to men and the sphere of home belonged to women. And one of the, some part of the really interesting research that I did was, um, even to look back at um, colonial America, um, when you look at, this is from a book called, um, I think it's called The Rise of the Housewife. It's something about, it's basically the history of the housewife in America, which is actually super fascinating. And she was saying that in colonial America, if you look at um, the sermons that were preached on parenting, those were directed to the husbands, not to the wives, um, and to the fathers, not to the mothers. And if you've been, if you survey some of like the homemaking manuals of that time, like they were actually marketed to the men. And so they're hard it to just, believe in today's you know marketing world, right? It, was in Christian it really is. Anyways. Yeah. So yeah, because I mean, people don't want to pick up a book. Men are not apt to pick up a book on home. And I think, right. um, the, the, the real problem with that is that um, it sort of excuses um, half of the population from the obligations of home and really the joys of home too, and the longings for home and the yearnings for home. And I think we as human beings are, are made most complete when we image God fully and he is a homemaker, you know, as you said to look back to Genesis uh, one and two and the end of the Bi- the beginning of the Bible, the end of the Bible, everything in between, we see that God is a God of hospitality and welcome and care. And these are virtues of home. Um, so that's part of the story as I'm trying to tell it in the book. Well, and I certainly, you know, I think where, where most people make the mistake is that um, we are wired for home. We are wired for family and, and mm-hmm. home is the, sort of the the fruit of that wiring within us for marriage for family and when in our culture if we if we bifurcate sort of work and family that's just not how we're wired as human mm-hmm. beings and so um, even if we adopt that 
um, that, that behave, those behaviors or that lifestyle that where they're very separated out, there's pretty, I would argue there's pretty severe consequences for what that does to ourselves and to the relationships within the family that are core to our sense of self-worth, to our sense of identity, to our sense of mission. And obviously I've talked to many men who, uh, when they get, you know, the whole cliche of the midlife crisis, well, part of the issue there is if they've been spending 25, 30 years mm. working all of the time, you know, for whatever company, and then they get to a point that, and, and, you know, they kind of wonder, do the kids even, do they have, uh, do they have a relationship with their kids? How is mm. their marriage? And the key is, as human beings, I just think that we are wired for those relationships. And, and, if we try to circumvent that uh, just by, by, you know, either just not thinking about it, not being intentional and just kind of going along with the culture or for whatever other reason, there are consequences, even if we, we don't realize it. And I really loved what you said. You know, I, I kind of laughed when you brought up uh, Kate Von Bora. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, <laughs> Martin Luther's wife, as well as Sarah Edwards. Cause I was just thinking, you know, so many, um, so many men who, who, you know, pride themselves on being spiritually, godly you know mature wise men and yet here you, you show two of we might say the the pinnacles of godliness in western church history and talk about their wives can you just share a little bit about we don't have a ton of time today i know but just share a little bit about uh martin luther's wife and what she did as well as jonathan edwards wife and what she did and kind of how that breaks down some of these stereotypes that we have even today yeah martin luther's wife um she was actually a nun and they got married and um i as i remember it martin luther was in debt when he married her and she basically turned their home into a kind of bed and breakfast if you will you know and and she got him out of debt and it was because she was this incredible household manager um and so she was she was a real economic partner and it sort of speaks to the fact that you know they it wasn't just it wasn't just that she was tending to the children and you know kind of the dishes and the laundry you know she was actually a, a contributing um, member financially in the household and that was that was so powerful i mean how could martin luther have done what he did apart from you know financial stability and provision and so she had a hand in that and sarah edwards like um likewise i mean jonathan edwards his study and his um preaching all of that was possible because she was managing a significant um, amount of acreage. I can't remember how much they owned, um, but again, this is colonial America. So this is this is pre-industrial revolution. No, no machines um, to sort of aid her in that. She's she was essentially managing a staff, managing all of this acreage, and um, again, a contributing member of the family economically. And so you just see how we have these kind of ideas especially when we talk about like biblical manhood and womanhood, you know, what, what does that look like? And I think, um, I think those are important questions. I think it's just really important to, when we go back to scripture, identify um, some of the cultural ideas that we have and that we impose on scripture. And I, I actually love Jonathan that you talked about the damage that we do um, to men when we don't have the full story of home and we don't see home as a calling for both men and women. Cause I think a lot of times women are like, yeah, well, women are the ones who have suffered, but no men have too. And actually I would argue children have as well. Um, I, I think it's been so beautiful because this has been a kind of something that we've recovered in our own family. I think when we got married, my husband and I, we've, we've kind of had a journey. Um, but I think in, in some ways in our earlier years of marriage, we might've had maybe 
more certain ideas about roles and you know what the women should do and what the men should do and um, in a lot of ways that looked like me doing it, uh, everything while my husband exactly as you said sort of career, uh, pursued his career ambitions um, but that was just to the detriment not just of me but to the kids um, and over the last many years as um, Ryan's been we've been both learning together and he's been leaning in toward home and the family our kids are so much better for it. And I think he's better for it. And I am too. And so this is a real vision of flourishing for everyone in the family. And, and, and to that point, I, I will just encourage uh, you guys out there who are listening. This book is not just for women. I read it, I read it and benefited from it enormously um, because this book touches on what it means to be made in the image of God. And that's equally applied to men and women. And I think that uh, one of the unfortunate things that a lot of us do is we, we actually, whether we know it or not, we take a capitalistic definition of work, which is work is what earns me money. Mm. And then we think, okay, so, you know, I, I'm the breadwinner. I work because I earn the money and, and my wife doesn't. Or it could even be vice versa. But the truth is work is all labor that's done to the glory of God from sun mm. up to sun down. And that, you know, it's not defined by a capitalistic system. It's defined as what God has called us to do with the hands and feet and hearts and hands and I said that twice and, and mouths and brains that he gave us to do. And all work is glorifying to God when, when we, 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 when we do that, when we, we put it to his glory, whether we're changing diapers or whether we're running a C, the CEO of a company. And I think unfortunately that for many men, they have, and you, you, you talk about this in the book, they, they actually have the attitude of, well, I can't do those things. I can't change a diaper. I can't manage kids. I can't do this. And I will just say for me personally, it's actually kind of fun. You know, some, I, I have six kids. So I got you beat mm. by one we have <laughs> twins at the end. But, you know, my wife and I, we comment that if I take the kids out, they can have uh, no shoes on. They can be, you know, just dressed and whatever. They can be acting wild, but I will get all of the praise, all of the, you know, the looks of just, you know, incredible awe and shock that I'm out with six kids and how do I do it? But my wife will go out and, you know, if, she, if she's with six kids, you know, there's just a very different um, attitude that, I mean, people are still amazed by her, but just, you know, when people see men with kids, it's just mm. something in them that goes, wow, how can you do that? And, and to me, it's like, well, I mean, it's not that hard, but, um, but I think men are not given that vision for what does it look like to be a father and a husband and to have that role in the home. And then, of course, the detriments of that are, are manifold uh, for the husband and, and, and the father, as well as the wife and the kids. And so in some ways, I think that's an incredible gospel witness, which I want to get to. You talk about that. When, when, when the home, when we as believers seek to um, inculcate faith and live our faith out in the context of the, the, the dynamics of the home and the family, that is itself an incredible gospel witness. Can you, and you, you talk about that in the book, the home is, is gospel witness. Can you share a little bit about what that, what you mean by that phrase in the book and how, how we as believers in just the everyday normal life of home and family, that is serving as a witness to the gospel? Mm-hmm. I think that the gospel is telling us so much about um, God's hospitality and God's welcome. I mean, that's what the garden tells us. God welcomed, made a world and welcomed his people into it. And then when they rebelled against him, he was um, finding a way to get them back <laughs> and to end their estrangement and welcome them back home. So welcome is just a huge, it's just a posture of God's people. And, um, 
you know, welcome we express in our home every day um, to the people that are living with us. And that can be a husband or a wife, and that can be children. It can also be a roommate. Um, I think there's a, there's a vision that's even beyond marriage and family. And I, certainly when we look at like Ephesians 5, I mean, Paul is giving us an entirely new category for understanding marriage. He's saying, you know, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so that uh, to re recover a biblical vision of home, a vision of marriage and family is, is absolutely to recover this vision of witness. And, and it pushes against our ideas that marriage is meant to make me happy, you know? Well, no. <laughs> I mean, happiness may result, and praise the Lord for that. I've been happily married for 20-some years, and I'm grateful. There are a lot of really happy days, um, but that's not God's ultimate purpose for my marriage, you know, that as my, Ryan and I live out a dynamic of receiving one another, believing the best in one another, forgiving one another. I mean, just the hospitality that we extend every day to one another, just to receive each other and say, whatever happened today, you know, you can come home and you're, you're known here, you're loved here, you're welcomed here. Um, that practice speaks um, to our children and it speaks to our neighbors too. I mean, let's be honest that, you know, marriages that um, weather the years, whether the disappointments, whether the difficulties, like this is an incredible witness to our neighbors who don't know marriage apart from, well, as long as it makes me happy, I'm sticking with it, you know, generally. And I don't want to say, I mean, that's not to say that my neighbors are worse than I. That's exactly what I would think if I weren't following Christ. And I'm committed to marriage in a, in a way differently um, because I believe that its purposes are beyond my own happiness and comfort and convenience. But um, I think that, you know, we can recover this vision as churches. Like, I think um, having a posture of hospitality even to the world around us, you know, and that's not easy to do. And it's not self-evident. A lot of times churches kind of understand themselves more along the dynamic of, us versus them. And sometimes we're a little bit afraid to know. We, it's, it's a tension to know how to live in the world and not be of it. You know, I mean, I don't think these are easy answers. Um, I could think of our church we live in. We are in a pocket of Toronto. We're basically on the corner that neighbors the gay village, you know, and when you talk about, um, you know, upholding orthodox sexual ethics and a posture of hospitality to your neighbors who don't, like the, that's not easy, but that's, that is work that is so good. And so I think to the church being home, you know, literally like how is your physical space in your church? Um, how does it welcome people? What are your practices of greeting people at the door and, and making people feel comfortable? These are all kind of questions of home and they matter because we're made in the image of a homemaker, a God who has gone to the most extravagant lengths to express welcome to his people. Yeah, and I think today, as you, you, you bring up in the book that um, I believe you quote uh, Perkins and you talk about how we are always called to apply the gospel to um, the needs of those we're speaking to. And mm -hmm. in, our, in our rootless culture in the West, I think that strong craving for a sense of belonging and for a sense of rootedness and for a sense of home is powerful. And so as we open up our homes and as we, as our churches are places that feel like home to someone who's a wanderer, you know, my own, in my own example, mm -hmm. 
for my own childhood, you know, when I, when I first went through a Young Life meeting and I walked in the door, it just felt like there was a sense of warmth and invitation and joy that I had never experienced. Mm. And I was hooked from that point, you know? And I think that uh, when our churches and when our own homes or our fellowships are like that, that is, is such a powerful introduction to the content of the gospel. Mm. Um, and and, and um, so I think that that is a, uh, it's a theme that um, as, as someone who is um, often talking to folks who are moms and dads who, who feel like I'm not a spiritual superhero, you know, I'm not a Hudson Taylor. I think you talk about them in your book. You know, I'm not some great uh, pastor or preacher or theologian or missionary. I'm just myself. How can I live my life in a way that's, that has some sort of significance? Mm-hmm. Well, one aspect to it is knowing that rooted, uh, that rootlessness that's out there and realizing how starved people are for that sense of belonging and home. You just being you and opening up whether it's your church or your home uh, to people is, is a first step for someone getting to see what it's like to know God and mm-hmm. to have that kind of life. Um, I do want to touch really quickly on something you, you have in your book that to me was very moving and I think too will really resonate with a lot of people. You talk about um, going on a road trip with your mom and your children and um, you, in your book you say you, uh, you want to reclaim the perished things. Mm. Um, can you talk about that for you and especially speak to almost everyone that I know who gets to a point in life where the losses, the griefs, you know, whether they're real and concrete in terms of the death of a loved one or the death of a dream or a marriage, you know, these kind of losses mm. and griefs, they begin to pile up. And I think mm. every one of us gets to a point where we realize how much these longings and griefs are just tied to our sense of homesickness. Mm. So can you speak about a little bit? I think it was just a very moving uh, story and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, You know, I said that the book kind of came out of geographical uprootedness, um, but I think it even more deeply came out of stories of loss. So when I was a freshman at Wheaton College, my dad died suddenly in March of my uh, freshman year. And so I can remember getting that call from my mom, you're going to have to fly home to Ohio. And, you know, it was just the craziest experience. I'm 18, you know, and I don't, my dad's gone um, and he hadn't been sick. And so it was just a very, a very sudden sort of loss. Um, And then I graduated from college. I married Ryan and a year later, my brother who had struggled for a long time with alcohol abuse and I would say um, mental health um, issues, um, he committed suicide a year into our marriage. And um, I mean, that's the kind of loss that you can never explain or understand. And it's so deep because it's so jagged and raw, you know, it's, there's, there aren't answers. Um, And I think it's those losses and and they were so early in my life, you know, and I, I didn't, I felt old at the time, but I'm like, I was 18, I was 24. You know, these are um, losses that are, that have shaped the entire course of my life mm-hmm. and in, in the grace of them, because I think that God is a God of grace, even in the midst of hard things, the grace of them is how it's taught me not to invest my hopes in things that don't last. And I think no matter how good your marriage is and no matter how wonderful your children are and how beautiful your home is and wonderful your neighborhood is, I mean, whatever it is, you know, whatever ways we kind of conceive of home in a material temporal sense, like it's all just so temporary. Mm. And it's, that's not, um, 
I think that could sound pessimistic, but I think it's it's ultimately so optimistic because it just it, it orients us to where our hope really lies. And it's not home here now, even if it's beautiful and good. And I don't think we have to apologize if home is beautiful and good right now. You know, if all things, if things are going well, praise the Lord. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, not to be invested in that fully and just to always be kind of looking ahead. And I love how Hebrews tells us that we're a people that are looking for a better city. And we're, we're sojourners looking for a homeland. And so that is the hope that we have to bring to the world because the world knows a lot of loss and they need to know the hope. They need to know the hope of home. And this is just language that connects um, with their deepest longings. And that's one of the things I think it's really beautiful to talk about the gospel as a home story. Because a lot of times just people in our culture, they don't connect with some of the religious kind of language and images um, that we use. But if we start talking to them as that as God is welcoming his people into a home, a place of belonging, like when we start to use words like that, oh, it connects with something so deep in them that they know, that they recognize. Um, and I think there's something so beautiful. And I, and so my stories of loss are, are ultimately, they've kind of helped me identify um, just a right orientation to the hope of home. It's not here. It's not now. Um, it's, it's in the future, but it is sure. And I think it's a great way to help us um, deal with our um, contradictory desires that on the mm. one hand, we feel great delight and joy in, in the things that God gives us now. You know, the marriages that we get to have, even though they, they might have struggles. Uh, of course, you know, we, we also know the great satisfaction of, of a spouse and of that kind of relationship that you know, we drive so much joy from and children and home. And uh, I think on, on one hand, many Christians do wrestle with how are these things spiritual? Mm. You know, how, how, how does this, um, are these things, am I, am I even being sinful? in wanting to be married or in delighting in my kids or in wanting a family. And you even speak to it in the book with women talking about the women's contradicted desires on the one hand, you know, um, desires for home, for homemaking, and, and then also uh, desires for, for, I don't know how you might qualify. It. I don't want to, you know, put words in your mouth, but I, I know my wife has these contradictory desires too. I think we all do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think too, you know, the, that you can live in an abusive spirit, uh, Christian culture where you're taught that the things of the world are, are you know, um, either unimportant to God or even antithetical to God's designs. And so you need to kind of kill those desires for those things. And, you know, the, the, the ideal is the, you know, the missionary who gives all for, you know, all, everything away and just goes and, and, you know, preaches the gospel in a foreign land, which to those who are called to it is, is a truly amazing and humbling thing to watch them do that. I have friends who do it. But at the same time, I think it, it, it creates a dichotomy that is that leads us to question the very thing you talk about in our book in, in your book, which is who God made us to be as is his as him as his image bears and that he is a homemaking God. So um any any thoughts on on all of that? I know there's a lot I just said there, but uh yeah. And that's the heart of it. Truthfully, that's my first book. <laughs> you know, this whole like how do I figure out if my desires are right and godly. Um, And I've just been really helped by Augustine, who just talks about um, desires being rightly ordered, um, so that the desire for a home, for marriage, for children, like these are good desires. I mean, the Bible tells us these are good things. 
they're they're good in so far as they're rightly ordered that they're never like the prime primary desire of our heart i mean anytime we'd want anything more than we'd want god and whatever god has for us you know in his will and his wise um sovereignty um then they're not right you know so i can't want a husband more than i want whatever god wants for me you know but it's not wrong to go to him and say god you know i feel like you've made me for a relationship and i'm struggling in my season of singleness you know i want you to bring that special person into my life and i want to have children you know if you've struggled with infertility i want to have children i want to experience that joy the joy that you know god because you have children um these things aren't wrong to bring to god i think the the wonderful thing is that home is for everybody you know the gospel says homes for everybody it doesn't it doesn't just it's not just for the husbands and the wives and the mothers and the fathers although the, wanting those things and having those things isn't a wrong thing but you get home too if you're single and if you are barren um Amen. or if you're widowed or if you're divorced like that's that that's the whole story of ruth i think in a lot of ways is to see how you know god um extends welcome to someone who everything's sort of fallen apart she's experienced the parish things both ruth and naomi um so those those are some of my thoughts on that i think you know surprised by paradox num the book number three like it's all touching on these themes of um you know the both and rather than the either or in our life with god well, and that's why I'm I'm so grateful for your book. I mean, truly, I think it's a theme that, as I said, among these people of my generation, and I think you and I are about the same age and and younger. Like I said, the the rootlessness, even even if people have never moved before, but that sense of belonging is so strong in all of us, and and I think we long for it. And um, when we hear the gospel and we become uh, believers in Christ, there is a initial homecoming that we all experience now but as you said already there's that not yet that we long for and we look forward to and all that we experience now in church and in family that that god brings uh the bears fruit of the spirit all of that is a foretaste and man uh what a day that will be um mm. <laughs> so jen thank you so much for for your work i know that writing a book is a extensively long and arduous task. And you wrote a book that has blessed me and I know will bless those who read it. And I would also say too, if you're out there and you don't even know what home looks like, you're thinking, I, I have no idea. I have never grew up in a home where there was stability, my parents weren't around or whatever that might entail. And, and you're a believer or you're not a believer. I would encourage you to, to pick up Jen's book um, called Keeping Place, Reflections on the Meaning of Home. Uh, because I believe that it will really speak to you into the ways in which God's word and his deeds, the things he's done on your behalf, will really resonate with you and your desires. And so let me encourage you to do that. And at the same time, if you are a father and a husband and you are saying, you know, I really want my kids to know the Lord. I really want my, my wife to grow in her faith. I know I, I know I need to be growing in my faith. Um, the home is not it is a place. It is a, it is, um, it is so much more than that. It's relationships, but it's, it's part of who you were wired to be as a man and being a part, you grew up in a family and you are part of a family now as a husband and father, and you will thrive as an image bearer of God to the extent that you are involved in what God has called you to be involved with, with your marriage and your family, not as an end in itself, as Jen said, but as a means of, of serving 
God and bringing him glory in the ways that he's designed you. So let me encourage you to pick up Jen's book. And also, again, you can go to her website, which um, is Jen Pollock Michelle, J-E-N-P-O-L-L-O-C-K-M-I-C-H-E-L.com. JenPollockMichelle.com. And she has, you can also subscribe to her newsletter that she sends out once a month and see her other books there. And you can, of course, find her on Amazon and everything else. So, uh, Jen, thank you so much for being on and for blessing us today. And and uh, we wish you the best up in uh, Toronto. Thank you so much, Jonathan. All right, you all, you all take care. Have a great day. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel using your preferred podcast app and to join us again next week. Conversations for Life is a listener-supported ministry of Cross Life. Cross Life exists to equip and empower married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. For more information and additional resources mentioned in today's episode, please visit our website, crosslifetoday.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Cross Life Resources, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, take care and God bless.